The following program is sponsored by Team Reba of Remax Metro East Side and Eric Osnes of Home Street Bank Home Mortgage. Welcome to Open House with Team Reba. Each week, Team Reba will be bringing you a roundup of real estate and mortgage news, along with information about the local Puget Sound region, highlighting some of the best and brightest entertainment options, family events, neighborhood highlights, and local business interviews, so you can feel right at home in the Pacific Northwest. Welcome once again to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Reba Hass at Team Reba, Remax Metro East Side. And I'm Eric Osnes from Home Street Bank Home Mortgage. Happy Saturday. Yes, thank you. Happy Saturday back to you. We're here once again from 2 to 3 p.m. like always. That's right, on AM 1590, The Answer. And we're also available outside of Bankers Hours. Sadly. It, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we, we get so many questions you know, throughout the week and listeners you know, yes. reaching out to us. And if you have questions for Reba or I... Mm-hmm. If it's real estate or finance related, uh, Reba, you can be reached. You can either by phone, 206-910-3429, or of course, there's always info at teamreba.com. Yeah. And you can also, if you're ever looking for an answer and you don't need to call me, you can download our mobile app, mm-hmm. and we might have something from our YouTube channel or in one of our uh, past recordings. There you go. And I can be reached uh, by phone, 206-915-ERIC. That's 915-3742. Or you can catch me on email, just Eric at ericismybanker.com. Yeah, and if somebody wants to check out maybe a loan application. Yeah, we actually have a really cool app now as well mm-hmm. uh, that you can download. Yeah, you have to do I sent that over to uh, two people last yeah, week. Yeah, email me, text me, and it has uh, online calculators and tons and tons of information you know, right on your smartphone. Yeah. So always fun stuff to it's do. It's got to be a smartphone. It's got to help make you yeah, be smarter. Although right. sometimes it makes me feel dumber. It's <laughs> just the way they are. But Speaking I'm of smart and dumb. Yeah. <laughs> me and you? What? Yeah. No, no, Wait, no. which one's which? <laughs> Hold on no. before you answer that. <laughs> I got that out first. No. <laughs> I want to know about the market right now because I'm hearing, oh, my goodness. I'm hearing lots of things going mm-hmm. on out there. And, yep. and we have some smart people making dumb decisions. I might somewhat agree with you on that. But what do you mean by that? Because then, I mean, then my answer might be a little more sure. tailored. Okay. My, my, what I mean by that is the market is starting to cool down right now. And, and even Just before, like fall. Right. Just like fall, just like the weather. But before the market cooled down, we still had sellers in less hot markets thinking they mm-hmm. were in hot markets and, and pricing their homes irrationally. You know, oh, which, yeah. which caused those homes to mm-hmm. sit. What are they doing now that the market is actually kind of cooling off a little bit? Well, besides getting a slap in the face a little bit. Right. Uh, yeah, there's there's happening. a little bit yeah. of that. So, you know, we've been starting to talk about this. And it's funny because just to, you know, well, on Tuesday, I posted on my personal Facebook page a, uh, you know how Facebook gives you these memories, right, mm-hmm. that come right. up. And you and I had just talked about this on last week's show again, Right. And I've been posting for the last two months just to support all these statements that we have of this little bar chart that they track on a daily basis in the local multiple listing service, right? And that's where every agent puts all of their listing information, right? And what we'd been noticing this year was that listing activity was higher and getting closer to the bar of pending sales. Mm -hmm. But then what was really creeping up and starting to surpass the pending sales was now this additional uh, price reduction bar, mm-hmm. right? right? Or back on market is another one. That's also started creeping up a little yep. bit. And my memories on Facebook popped up what I wrote two years ago 
mm. where I had started noticing the trend already mm-hmm. and started noting it. So on Tuesday, I posted this whole thing that said, don't let me have to tell you, you know, I told you so, but we saw this coming two years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, and now it's just it's just developed more. It's, it's a natural cycle. And, and, and the thing is, yeah, absolutely. Every real estate market goes through ups and downs. Every mm-hmm. economy goes through right. ups, ups and downs. And the thing is, is people have to remember we have been six years in appreciation at hyper growth, eight to 14 percent right. and certain micro markets at 25 percent. And that's just not. You know, you it's can't not do sustainable that. Sustainable in the long run, right? And the comparison is two thousand three to two thousand mid two thousand seven, mm-hmm. where we ran twelve to thirty five percent. People have amnesia about mm-hmm. some of that, uh, but also, also remember some of these younger buyers that are out there right now, they're in like middle school, right? Okay, right. like they weren't paying attention. No, this, yeah. So right now they're like. Well, what do you mean? What right. do you mean? It's like, well, okay, yeah, go ask your parents. Yeah. <laughs> that is part of it. Well, so. and the other question I'm asked all the time is, oh, is it a bubble? You know, are yeah, we looking no. at a bubble? I don't think so. No, they're just expecting us to return to what is considered a normal market. Mm-hmm. And a normal market is typically 2 to 3% appreciation. Because remember the first time homebuyer classes we used to always teach, mm-hmm. and we still teach, uh, we always said, you know, the first thing you have to start asking yourself when you're about to buy a home is, well, what's your hold period going to be? Right. Because when your sale cost can be anywhere from between 6 and 10%, depending how you do it, mm-hmm. well, if a traditional market is 2 to 3%, well, guess how many years you need to live in a place to even just break even? Right. A lot of folks so, don't think duh. about that. Yeah. They yeah. don't think about the cost to sell a home. It's because they don't want to do math. Home, gonna make a they're they're like, wait, hold on. I have to do some percentages. Wait. And what, how long does that yeah. take? Yeah. So that's why we write it out for them and make it very simple. Good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 So, so we're not in a bubble. No. But the rate of appreciation is decreasing. Yeah. So there's still exactly. values are still rising. Not, not necessarily Just not as fast. As fast. Right. And I'm sure there's some markets or there's some specific homes where you're seeing price reductions right mm-hmm. now because they were overpriced to start with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, you know, sometimes you get hit in a certain thing. We talked about this also the other week of you have to make a decision because there's no perfect price to go on, right? Mm-hmm. So you can have a yeah. low, mid, and high place. And we're always looking at it like, how is an appraiser going to evaluate this? Because mm-hmm. I have to be able to make the numbers if it's financed. And 80-plus percent of homes are financed. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to make sure that you're meeting what an appraiser is going to look at and not just like, hey, I'd like to get, you know, that, does, that doesn't work. No, it has to pencil out on paper. And an appraiser will look at comparable sales. Mm-hmm. They're going to look at five, six, I've seen as many as nine yes. comparable sales, homes that have recently sold that are similar enough in age, location, size, mm-hmm. square footage, bedrooms, bathrooms, amenities to make comparisons to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then they'll make adjustments because no two homes are alike, or at exactly. least in most cases. And, and, and come up with a, a fair market value. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, now the appraiser, when you're buying a home, the, the appraiser does know what you're paying for the home. So, right. And, and one of the best definitions of market value is what a seller and a buyer agree on, you know, assuming mm-hmm. no other sort of undue influences. Right. But when we had the market of lots of multiple offers, mm-hmm. that could get completely skewed kind of yeah a little nuts well we had appraisers chasing that market right they still had to find comparables you know but they could make adjustments for a a pre-inflation right well let me let me give a real world example for our listeners though because 
I've got a condo on the market right now over in Kirkland. And the thing that was interesting when we put this client on market was that in her complex, there had been some things that sold in kind of the, you know, 350 to 370 range. Mm -hmm. And then more recently, a bunch that had gone on around like 370, 380 shot up to four and a quarter with multiple offers. Now you have to look at, you know, in condo buildings, where you sit inside the complex also makes a difference. And oh, appraisers apply yeah. for that too. Corner, corner. End unit. unit, end cor- unit. Yeah, all of that. Top, top floor, floor versus bottom floor. Right. Are you a walkout basement style garden or garden level as they like to mm-hmm. call it? That kind of thing. So, and, and the mid, right? So, and, and there's a lot of mid-rise buildings like that around here. So our client, we were looking at the numbers and last time one sold at like 370, mm. It was pretty blah. The agent was lazy. They had no professional photos. They didn't stage it. It was also on a lower level. But some other ones had had done better. Mm -hmm. And they hadn't had anything on market in their complex for about four months. Mm. Right? So Mm -hmm. I gave her the range. I'm like, four and a quarter is your highest. And that's if there's that much demand. And plus in that building, they have lower than typical homeowners association dues. So they actually benefit from that because, yeah, yeah, because other places around there in like in the 300s, 400s, and she's at like 267 or something. So Mm -hmm. that makes a difference in payment and not how your finances work. So we walked all through that and I said, I don't think you should try and go to four and a quarter. That would be your high side. And that's been driven there by multiple offers. But you have to remember if I price you at 370, like these other ones started at, then if you get 370 and there's no multiple offers, that's you're what you get. At so do you want to go mid-range so that you're at least okay with whatever that's going to be and we're very likely to be able to hit the appraisal? And she went, well, yeah, okay, let, let's try that. So she's only been on market for about 10 days. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing that, that was a kicker, and she freaked out the day it happened. We went on market, and that exact same weekend – Two other flipping units came on. Oh. So, and one of them, like, right, lower level, like her, and they went on at 370. Mm-hmm. And the other one went on at four and a quarter and sold so, right away. So but it was also top floor. At the same data. They're looking at the exact same data. Yeah. And they priced just on the opposite sides of us. Right. And so now she's freaking out, like, oh my God, what am I, uh, should I take it off the market? No. Yeah. It'll, it'll. It's called patience. That's right. right. (laughs) Like calm down, take a breath. Yeah. You know, but, but that's, that's where she's at. It's hard to do that when you're in the thick of it. Oh, of course. Well, and and everybody wants to, yeah, no one wants to feel like their baby's Mm -hmm. ugly either. Absolutely. And that's what they're afraid of. (laughs) Like, don't call my baby ugly. If you say, oh, it's adorable. It's precious. Well, it might be ugly. (laughs) I don't know. Just just bring your tool belt with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, and it's a great, it's a totally great condo. That's a great condo. Oh, it's a super great one. In fact, actually one of the things that we're going to be marketing to are dog owners because it is a lower level. With woods right behind it, yeah. so it's like if you're a dog owner like Perfect. me, yeah, I don't want to be on the second or f- third floor because every time I got to take my dog out, I got to trek up and down the stairs and do you know mm-hmm. deal with all the stuff. But boom, there you are, yeah, knock uh, yourself out. That's awesome. Dig a trench. Well, good. <laughs> yeah. well, so anyway, well, how about the uh, mortgage rates? How well, are they doing? We are have, we digging a trench? We are having <laughs> some headwinds right now. Okay, and so mortgage rates have been on a little bit of an upward march. We're actually right now at our highest level in about five years. 
Okay. And so what's happening is uh, as the economy has been growing, expanding, we just got um, you know latest economic statistics mm-hmm. out. The economy grew at over a 4% rate. Okay. It's expected to start to, to cool down a little bit. But still be solid in the in the three three percent growth range, you know, somewhere somewhere in there, three to four percent. As a consequence, the mm-hmm. fear, the ugly specter of inflation has reared its head. Okay. Inflation is what causes rates to rise. And so the bond market uh, drives off of inflation, yeah. off of fear. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we're seeing some some pressure on the on the bond market. And uh, and so it's not not certainly Armageddon here at any you know by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, we're we're getting up into the upper upper four percent range for mortgage yeah, rates. Yeah, that's what I was so, just posting the other day. Is if you're going to do it, do it before we start hitting above five. If absolutely. You can. Uh, I have a, just a couple more things to add. To that when we come back, we'll give you some forecasts what to expect on interest rates. So stay tuned. More open house with Team Reba when we come right back. Open House with Team Reba on AM 1590. The answer. Now, back to Open House with Team Reba. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Eric Osnes from Home Street Bank. And I'm Reba Haas from Team Reba. Many thanks to our announcer, Batman. (laughs) We have Halloween coming up, so maybe I'll have a double mocha, please. No whip. <laughs> yeah, intensity, I tell you what. Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. So you were talking about rates. We're talking about rates. We're back Let me from the break. i just going to give you a real quick rundown of where we're at. The national averages for interest rates. 30-year fixed rate conventional loan. In our local counties, that takes us up to $667,000. Uh, 4.82%. So we're up a little bit. Oh, we are. Definitely. From, from last week. Uh, 15-year fixed rates are hovering around 4.28%. Uh, FHA and VA loans, we love our veterans, uh, lower still, 4.5% is the national okay. average. Jumbo 30-year fixed rates hovering around 4.4%. And shorter-term loans, like a 5-1 arm, is at 4.1%. So everything firmly up in the 4% range. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you okay. know, we're... we're um, we're just going that way. Uh, just a real quick note to one other major development over the last couple of weeks in, mm-hmm. in, in our local markets. That's good news. If you are a first-time home buyer, you actually technically don't even have to be a first-time home buyer uh, as long as you don't own a home right now. Uh, you can get zero down financing. And these programs have always had income ceilings. They just went up dramatically yes. from $97,000 a year income limit to $145,000. Yeah, that's substantial. That's a huge jump. Yeah, we're very excited about that. So we've turned a lot of people away that wanted zero down financing, mm-hmm. just they were over the income limit. And right. Now with this, it opens things. Well, maybe wide that open. means we'll have more people attending our class coming up on October 20th. Class? What class? I'm just kidding. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yes, we're doing our, our regular Washington State Housing Finance Commission sponsored class coming up on October 20th, and we're doing mm-hmm. at the Burien Library, that's correct? Right. That's right. Yeah, that's going to be our first time at the Burien Library for this, so I'm excited. It's a beautiful building. When when the downtown Burien area was getting redeveloped, the fact that they put that in and there's new condos and apartments around there, and that whole 152nd area has been just coming up, and it's just 
fantastic. Lots of great restaurants down there. Smarty Pants has a location there now. Yes, they do. I know. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's migrating. There's there's some fantastic places. We should probably highlight Beery one of these days. You know, there are some really. You mean really like at good, our class? Yeah, or on our show. Oh, okay, yeah, on the show too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but, but anyway, this class. So yes. this will be on October twentieth. Uh, this is a five-hour class. It's a free class. We do provide lunch. Mm-hmm. And this is the official class that is required uh, for many of the first-time homebuyer programs. Right. Many of these programs require you take a homebuyer education. This class will do it. And uh, it is a, a limited space. So if you're interested in taking the class, be sure and reach out to us. You can do that by uh, easiest way is just go to info at teamreba.com. Send an email out. Mm-hmm. And we need a phone number and an email address. And then Sarah Jean on our team helps uh, monitor all that for That's us. That's right. And she'll give you a confirmation. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, but space is limited. Uh, this class, we do pack it with information. Mm-hmm. It will, you'll walk away with your head full of strategies and yep. information and ways to be a smart, savvy home Absolutely. Buyer. And they can find us on Facebook for that, too. Yeah. However, I want to get to our guests yeah. today because we want to fill people's heads with some other interesting information. I thought you were going to say food waste. <laughs> Well, okay. No, I was trying to find a way I could introduce this, but thanks for being (laughs) non-graceful. That's how I roll. I've learned that over the 15 years I've known you. (laughs) So anyway, so for our listeners, I came across this company. So we've got the folks from Impact Bioenergy with us. And in the studio with us is Jan Allen, the president and founder, correct? Yep. Yes, yep. thank you for being here. And we have Drew Corbin, an agronomist. That's right. Happy Saturday, Team Reba. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. And I've, I've always wanted to say agronomist, and now I get to do it uh, several times today. And then we also have Sharup Kumar, right? And That's you right. are kind of the outward-facing uh, community engagement officer working with partners. Correct. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So I saw a video that Jan was on. Some some young gal was doing this fun little interview, and she's looking at how these things work. But I I got excited because most people that do listen to our show know that one segment that we try to cover all the time are things around like green building and design, and then also regional impact. And you're a local company. Right? So your offices in Shoreline, and you're manufacturing in Auburn. Yeah, that was a fun little piece, too. It was yeah, it was, it, it was well. They did a good job with it. Yeah, no, and uh, if I can go back and find that again, I'm sure it's probably on your Facebook page. I'll link that to our recorded show so that people can also see the video along with hearing this interview. It was part of a reinventors series they're doing. So yeah. we, were, we were reinventing things. Yeah. Well, well, just for our listeners, let's if I could kind of paint a visual picture of of this. Uh, watching the the video was was fascinating to me. So basically, you build a machine. Food waste goes in one end, and electricity comes out, and and I don't want to say fertilizer, but but plant food, uh, as well as a is a byproduct. Have I got that right? Yeah, it's a <clears throat> the machine was built. Uh, it's biomimicry, so we actually built a portable digester, and it is designed to act like an animal. So it's like a farm animal. It eat, it eats, it burps, and it makes manure. So. It sounds like my dog. Yeah, it is. So, <laughs> so it really is. Um, Just got to hook a generator up to him. Yeah. It's, it's a completely natural system. And what we did is we just made a machine that does that. And it, it sounds so That's so simple. fascinating. 
But yeah, it's I such mean, a simple concept. But, it, but was it really hard to create? Yeah. I would imagine. Really yeah, it took us several years to, to sort of miniaturize everything. Normally, these things are big. They're, okay. You know, they're, they're a huge plant. And we miniaturize everything into the size of a parking space. So, which okay. So, who who right now is your typical customer? We are um, serving uh, anything from a restaurant to a resort to a college campus, corporate campus, government campus, islands, farms, um, anybody that really has food waste. We are not doing. Uh, we're not doing animal waste. We're just doing urban food waste. Right. So that's something unique about us, where we're building these to be, um, they have to smell okay, they have to look okay, they have to be mm-hmm. compatible with the urban environment. Right. So. Yeah, because I know like Cedar Grove Compost, which is, you know, takes in quite a bit of the food waste locally that are through, you know, programs like Republic and Waste Management and what have you. That's always the complaint that people living out near that. Cause I, I live in Renton, so I'm not that far from where their mm-hmm. facilities are. And that's, you know, one of the major complaints people will have is like, yeah, we, we put a lot of effort into that. I don't know if you remember okay. a couple of years ago, they put in a machine at the, at the public market, Pike, Pike place. And, oh, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. You know, it didn't, it didn't last maybe two months, okay. maybe a month. And, uh, the market said this, this, the, the odors. No it's got to go. Now, this was your yeah. machine or this no, no, was someone it was, else's? It was somebody else's. Okay. The, yeah. You know, they, it was, it was, um, it just got overwhelmed and they, right. and the market said, can't have this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so. especially it's, you know, the longest running yeah. public market in the yeah. U.S. So, yeah. you know, it's a big source of tourism right. and everything else. So, of course, they need to keep on top of that. I get it. So how is it that you're able to, to make your machine basically not you know, have that sort of, uh, you know, odor effect on, on the neighbors. Is that well, where the belching comes in? Yeah. We, <laughs> we just, everything is super tight. We don't let anything out of the box. And, okay. Uh, um, and that's our, I mean, that's what we spent years figuring out and making sure it's, it's, um, you just don't want it to, no leak, no liquid spilling out of it. Right. No gases coming out of it. Yeah. Everything is closed. So we just capture everything okay so i'm i'm curious you said it takes years and i know from having worked in the manufacturing world for a long time and also software before this industry and even concern i mean there's huge startup time so did you have startup investors behind this like how did that get funded for all that period of time this is a classic bootstrap okay uh, company where the the people that you're looking at right here in the room we just didn't have any paychecks we worked for a long time without paychecks wow and uh, we had to, each one of us sponged off somebody else. So, <laughs> so I mean, that, that's yeah. the reality of it. We had to be enabled by somebody else to, that we could do this. That sounds like so. starting real estate agents because yeah. they make no money hardly at all. <laughs> they just spent off spouses and family. Thanks, honey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, we really have, we have to. That was good. That's perfect. Thanks, honey. <laughs> we, do have, we do have to give a shout out to our, to our partners because that, that's really what made it work. And then there were, there's some, well, it also means you guys really believed in what you were trying to accomplish. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, you talk about it, you walk an idea around, you talk about it with people and we all met because uh, we, uh, I was probably speaking somewhere and, and both Drew and Sharoop met me at a forum and said, Hey, I want to know more about this. I want to do this. So, 
Fantastic. So they convinced me that they had um, they could bring something to it, and they did. So that's you know that's how it all starts. So you just have to keep talking. Okay. So so Jan, you mentioned that this typical unit is about the size of a parking space, and how much, like how much how much food waste goes into it? How much power comes out of it? How does how does it operate? That um, that's a good question. So we have names for these machines. You're, ta- you're okay. asking questions about the horse. I've looked at, yeah, you have the horse, the yes. nautilus, the ox, yeah. the buffalo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. Let's start with the horse. The horse okay. is our, is our um, parking space size machine. And it, uh, it consumes or it, uh, it takes in about 1,000 pounds of food waste a week. So it's a wow. little big for a homeowner, but a, but a collective or a as some sort of shared housing development, mm-hmm. it'd be perfect. Yeah, yeah. It'd be really good. And well, I love the idea. Communities, you know, I love the idea of this because a lot of times, um, like even around the city of Seattle or in dense urban areas, they do recycling, but they don't always do food waste. Mm-hmm. And so this has an opportunity for someone who's interested in right. things like this to bring it to that kind of setup and maybe have it feed back into that, that's, their building. Reba, that's the best part of this is what we're trying to do is eliminate trucks and diesel yeah. fuel so you can use your own organic materials we don't even call it waste we call mm-hmm. it organic materials and yeah we, we make energy and then we make plant food and then we grow more food on the property so and you're building up your own soil it's like it's like putting compost in your soil it's got organic matter and microbes and water and so we're Everything is, the idea is to not truck stuff away from your property. Yeah. No, I, I love this concept. We've brought on energy efficiency and solar people mm-hmm. and other types of things like that. And this is just another way that someone could like high end really make a positive impact, mm-hmm. both for the people living there and for their local environment and, and also maybe their uh, bottom line. That's right. That's kind of right. love that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to go into a quick little break. We're going to be talking more about this with the folks from Impact Bioenergy here on Open House with Team Reba. See you in just a few. Open House with Team Reba on AM fifteen ninety. The answer. to Open House with Team Reba. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Reba Hass of Team Reba, Remax Metro East Side. And I'm Eric Osnes from Home Street Bank Home Mortgage. We're here every Saturday from 2 to 3 o'clock bringing information on real estate finance. And today we have Impact Bioenergy with us today. Really fascinating yes. company and really glad you all could join us here today. Yeah, so right before the break, we were having uh, Jan Allen, who's the president, talking about kind of how this all started. But you mentioned, so we've got two other folks from your company here. We've got uh, Drew Corbin and Sharoop Kumar. And you said that these guys probably heard you at a forum and came up to you. So I got to ask, so Drew, I, again, I get to say agronomist. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love that. So tell me, like, what was the driver for you? Like, and, well, and how did that all happen? Yeah, so in my former position as extension faculty with WSU, I work with farmers I've worked with. Oh far- right, yeah, they have a big, big program. I've worked with farmers my whole career, three decades, and I was doing a big project with composting. You mentioned earlier mm-hmm. about Cedar Grove. Mm-hmm. That's one of the composters we worked with, and a couple other regional composters that 
all had surplus compost, and we tried to get farmers to use the compost um, through a big program that uh, I got funding through USDA. Anyway, we had about 60 farms doing um, either demonstration projects or experiments with compost in Snohomish County. And so I was invited to speak about it at the U.S. Composting Council conference in Austin, Texas. Didn't even know that existed. Okay. Makes sense, though. That's where I met Jan. Okay. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, I was was speaking about the compost project, and I noticed um, in the schedule that there was a scale-appropriate anaerobic digester and, and you went, that sounds they, exciting. Well, they're from, they're from <laughs> Everett. And I'm like, Everett? I'm from Everett. I, didn't, I don't know anything about this. So I, yeah. I, I just went to go see him speak. And he was still on the drawing board at that point. Okay. Everything was pretty theoretical. Um, he, had, he had a lot of designs. Um, I'm watching Jan's face while you say that to see how yeah, he's responding so, now. You know, I, I knew a little <laughs> bit about anaerobic digestion. And I knew of especially the failures of trying to scale down a, a, bit, a digester so that it's it. more appropriate for small space. And so I asked him a couple questions during the talk, and then afterwards... Well, wait, did I answer them right? Yeah, the one, <laughs> the, the one I was mainly concerned about was, was temperature. You have to right. maintain, it's just like an animal. If an animal mm-hmm. gets sick, it's either a fever or... Right. You know, if you start to get too cold, um, they're not going to function properly. So, I think that, that's any living creature. And that's really um, where I saw the most failures of the smaller scale digesters. Okay. So, so I asked him about temperature, and he, he's got a unique system. It's sort of a circulatory system of, of warm water that maintains a constant temperature of 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, wow. Okay. So... I was satisfied with that. And then <laughs> afterward, um, I thought that he, he should be talking to farmers in western Washington because the farmers here are very resourceful people. Mm-hmm. A lot of them do direct-to-market. They do their own processing, and they do yeah. direct, direct delivery. And That's the whole thing. Agriculture in the state of Washington yeah, is big, big business. Especially, um, it's it's very different from eastern and western. But mm-hmm. but where we are, there we know about the food waste issue. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, I asked Jan if he had anybody on staff. Little did I know he didn't even have a staff. I said, "Do you have anyone on staff who knows how to talk to farmers? Because I really think this is a a good target clientele for you." And he was like, "No, maybe you." So after <laughs> Do you that, have someone you could sponge off? After that, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Thanks, honey. <laughs> well, it was a little bit more exciting than that because then he called me back and he says, "Hey, I quit my job. I'm ready to start." And I said, "Whoa, <laughs> oh, that is exciting! Oh my goodness!" <laughs> yeah, we we basically that night went out for a couple beers and talked about it a lot more. And Worked on your own anaerobic digestion yeah. issues. Got yeah. it. And that, <laughs> that was almost three years ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's actually very cool. I personally, I mean, we talk about organic foods and stuff, but I love the organic process of people meeting and connecting and, and doing great things together. I mean, honestly, you know, Eric and I mm. met 15 years ago. He's the only lender I've worked with for that long. But it was just I went to a class 
where he was doing it was a non-matriculated thing about how to not get screwed by a lender because way back when most people don't know lenders weren't all individually licensed and so he was giving the public the real scoop on what you have to look for how not to get hosed which during the recession we saw all those people who got hosed right and then they changed the laws and now everyone has to be individually licensed and get at least a minimum amount of education and then ongoing education but the 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 natural process of certain people that come together and then what you can actually build and grow beyond that i mean that's that you know network to me is just tremendous so i I love this story look at us that's awesome we we fight like brothers and sisters (laughs) yeah Yeah, we do sometimes right here on the radio that's right that's right Okay. So, you so, should come to our team meeting. Oh, I can imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, well, so, you know, I, I'm a big fan. Like, in my own team, I'm trying to – what do they call it? Uh, oh, there's a – Synergize? No. Oh, like barf. I hate that word. Mm. No, 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 no. It's, uh, there's another terminology for uh, – where you're not so much hierarchical, but it's this um, – Facilitator? No, there's another term. I'll think of it later. But mm-hmm. there, was, there was a speaker I saw last year who was talking about this whole, like, uh, you know – you need to have people who challenge you. You can have the person who's in charge. You know, like, Jan, you're obviously in charge. But when you have people able to bring thoughts. More, more collaborative. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit collaborative, but you still need to be able to have these, like, crucial conversations where, hey, maybe I don't agree with you, but it's okay. It's not about my ego. It's about getting the right job done and getting the right, you know, output of what you're trying to get to, right? And so, you know, when when there's someone who can do that in a company that can do that. A lot of the, the firms that are coming out today, a lot of technology companies are around that. You have to be able to have folks who can come and collaborate without someone feeling like, you know, what they're bringing to the table is just going to get shot down. Or it has to be the, the building on of, you know, the ideas that are there. So, I mean, good for you that if, if you can build that kind of um, an environment, that's well, usually been, means you're going to do better things. Yeah, we've been lucky because the mission is so clear. We know... Mm-hmm. We know what we're trying to do. Yeah. So, Sharup, so you're you're the the other part of this team here. So, what's your role with the organization? Well, in the end, it comes down to connecting people. And so, at it for about five years now, ever since meeting Jan, developing projects and programs around the technology because, in the end, all it's doing is connecting more people locally. So, we need to start those conversations early, have them often. Right. And really design the solution for them to meet their needs. So Rather you, than, you know, giving them a solution saying this is it. Yeah, see if you can fit yourself around it. Right. So are you having to come up with the idea of who these people are? Or is it just kind of, again, like your organization comes up with that? Or you do some market research? How, how do you decide? Well, for the past few years, it's really been mar- market sounding. So, okay. So, you know, getting out there and talking to the folks like Fremont Brewing, who we were able to start our first pilot in the city with. Um, so the city of Seattle, they came out with an opportunity for on-site food waste recycling, and it was actually, I think, St. Patrick's Day of 2014. Okay. Jan and I were having a beer over at the beer garden there. I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, it's, it's fermentation. You know, yeah. we're about fermentation. Yes. <laughs> Small world. I may have been there. It. Yeah. Yes. Mm. It's just continuing that brew. I do want to come yeah. to one of your team meetings yeah. if that yeah. uh, is at a brewery. <laughs> We can help contribute some uh, food uh, I products. I think we could. Bio. I think we could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, if we do, you know what, we we need to do another event. Maybe we should do one yeah. where there's 
That'd be kind of fun. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll okay. talk about that. Anyway, yeah. off, off topic. Sorry. But okay. So you guys went for a beer. <laughs> but totally on topic because we're like, why yeah. stop with the fermentation in the beer? Yeah. You know, yeah. They're, yeah. They're putting in all sorts of residuals like you know, spent right. yeast, spent grain. So yeah. we saw it as just a huge opportunity to now convert you know, every ton of that material into nutrients, energy, water, and carbon. Right, because normally you see like spent grain breads where I know that some companies have gone and and brought that from breweries and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make another product out of it. But there's no way that that all can be utilized in that format. there's so much. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of it. So this is fantastic. Okay. So cutting our teeth on that first horse, you know, with the city and reporting to the city on how this is performing, you know, what are our challenges? And then scaling that process up and out, you know, how do we repeat it? Right. So we've been looking at different verticals, like, you know, just like the brewery vertical, there's a campus vertical, different feedstock, different users. How do you now adapt to that? Right. So um, it's been, you know, partnering up with the right people who have the right will to do this, because in the end, it's no longer business critical for, you know, all these small businesses to do something like this. This is always a nice to have, but there's a call to action there. So finding the folks with the call to action has been all about what I'm doing. So, so uh, okay, and, and I'm, maybe I'm reading between the lines there. So is it the machine itself, is it is it a cost-effective machine, or is it a combination of just kind of doing what's right, you're, 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 you're creating less waste, and you're, you're Environmentally kind of helping sensitive. the environment while you're at it? So proving the payback mm-hmm. on a machine, we're hoping to get it less than two years. That's, you know, that's all? And you know, ideally that's the situation, but it wow. comes down to so many different factors. That's pretty amazing, that's, actually. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I haven't mean, done it yet, but you know, we're getting there. Well, but I'm comparing that to like, let's say I, I do solar, right. you know, mm-hmm. to to power my house. My payback could be 15 mm-hmm. years, right? You know, something along that line. Mm-hmm. And then we good. have people ask those questions. That's why we've had solar guys on here a couple of times because we get asked regularly. Well, does it add or detract from the value of my home, or is it net neutral? Right, um, and the the answer is sometimes it just depends because if you're like living in a neighborhood with not everybody else is doing solar, it may not be an attractive thing because some people might see it as an eyesore. Mm-hmm. Whereas in another neighborhood, everyone's like, oh, no, I really want to have that because that is, you know, maybe my mentality or, you know, the way the houses are built. It's not as, you know, um, not as much of an image issue, you know, for the for the profile of the house or curb appeal, that kind of stuff. But I love that. I mean, in businesses, two years. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that a business has to go through that takes a lot of payback over time. Well, too. Actually, uh, Shrip, you should explain why we, we have we have three value streams. Okay. So it's yeah. not just electricity. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, the value streams are waste to resource. So you have mm-hmm. a way to recycle material. Right. So that's basically a service of avoided. Avoiding the truck, avoiding right. moving material from point A to B, where point B is 50 miles away somewhere. Right. Sure. And it's 80% water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mostly water. Oh, sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And traffic's bad. Too. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. Okay. Well, we're going to get into that a little bit more when we get back from this break. Uh, thanks for listening to Open House with Team Reba. We'll be back in just a moment with Impact Bioenergy. Open House with Team Reba on AM 1580. The Answer. Now, back to Open House with Team Reba. 
Welcome back to Open House of Team Reba. I'm Eric Osnes from Home Street Bank. And Reba has from Team Reba. And we have here still in the studio with us Drew Corbin, Jan Allen, and Sharup Kumar from Impact Bioenergy. And uh, before the break, Sharup, you were starting to go into the, th- what did you call it, Jan? The three value streams. Three value streams. So yeah. please continue. So we're, we're talking about the tonnage. So if you think about the first value stream as a waste or resource of, you know, within the neighborhood conversion. Mm-hmm. So you're recycling within a close proximity. That's basically recycling service. Right. But what happens to each ton? Every ton that goes in the system gets converted down mostly into uh, a product for plant and soil and then okay. the energy that we funnel off. And Which is like this brew that you have sitting here in front of me, correct? Correct. Okay, we'll have some pictures of this also on the website later. Mm-hmm. So on average, every ton might turn into you know, 20 to 30 gallons of a renewable fuel substitute, similar to a natural gas, and the plant food, about 200 gallons of a liquid probiotic plant food. We can then make dried plant food out of it like we have in front of us here. This is uh, solar and wind dried. Okay. So we basically, uh, over about a month, um, the water evaporates and we end up with the basically the dried material, which is full of um, beneficial organic matter and we blend it. So this is actually a blend number five that we use other resources that are generated you know, in our local economy. It's starting to look like a Starbucks bag. <laughs> I thought, yeah. Don't I thought prove those, it, though. I thought those were brownies. I, that is, yeah. a, that is yeah. not the one you no. want to yeah. stick in your coffee filter. No, you can put, it, <laughs> put it between your cheek and gum. You can yeah, there you go. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you guys are doing this, but this is something that can the people who are buying your machinery also, is that what they're creating? Yes. Because so you've th- got this package, but I'm assuming... That's you doing it at your facility. Right. So we own and operate um, about half of the systems that are out there. Okay. So we have six on the ground, and we own and operate three of them. And um, So it's like you have your own manufacturing facilities all around. Basically. Each one is actually a manufacturing facility. You hit it on the head. It's, like, it's basically plant food is coming out, and you have energy. That's the big bonus. So How cool is that? So the energy is I'm methane, I'm assuming? Right. Okay, We're, and you're using the methane to power a, a generator to create electricity? Is that how that works? Yep. And oh, there's, there are so many possibilities. You can cook with it. You, we did gas lighting on Bainbridge Island. Um, oh, for crying you out can loud. make hot water. You can, yeah, but electricity is a big one. We're making vehicle fuel on Vashon Island. We're actually making CNG like for buses and trucks and that. that so there's a lot of choices. Sure, because, you, I mean, it's a gas. You can do a bunch of different things with it. Could that be liquefied then? You can. We, we have a machine out of Finland we're looking at that yeah. actually will cryogenically make it into LNG. Yeah, it's re- not re- that expensive. It's, it's surpri- I, we thought it was, but this Finnish company is, is uh, kind of disrupting the, the deal. So For crying out loud. So, wow. So, okay, and, and uh, can I ask, like, a typical... You know, plant. Then you know this. Your 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 entry level one's the size of a, a parking space. Let's say, what's a typical cost for something like that? Well, we, this is the Henry Ford approach. We yeah. wanted to make it affordable and easy right. for everybody. But what color do you want it? How many pounds do you want to put through it? I mean, the littlest one is about a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. But the one on Vashon is is north of a million dollars. But mm-hmm. it's it's for the whole island. Right. So, right. Covering the and yeah. it's making vehicle fuel. So, this is all scalable, you know. Yeah. So I'm just and, thinking of all these remote places oh gosh, yeah. that could mm-hmm. benefit from this. Mm-hmm. Well, even the fact, like, um, 
I was looking a couple of years ago of retirement eventually maybe to places like Panama out in Bocas del Toro where there's the islands out there. And this would be... We get inquiries from Panama, Mexico, Costa Rica. We get inquiries yeah, all the time. I would imagine the Caribbean so. Islands, so. Yeah. Well, and of course, it, it's a no-brainer about here in the San Juans, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I was telling you before we even got on the show, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm sending somebody who works with Steph over in Rosario Resort your stuff because I want him to see it. You know, like, this is great. Are we ever going to reach a point where where something like this can be sized down to a household, household size? Um, they do that... Um, I don't know. I, they do that in Vietnam, India, uh, Philippines, China. They have little ones this, like a septic tank. Mm-hmm. And individual homes have a digester. And they're putting the animal dung, the human dung. Okay, that doesn't sound thing. like it would smell very good, though. No, it's. I mean, it's less... It's less um, sanitized. Yeah, your system sounds very clean. Yeah. yeah. So, but the, there's no reason why you can't do that. But we chose to, well, we have to survive. And if we try to sell the homeowners at that scale, mm-hmm. every right. transaction is just too expensive. We, right. Have right. To, we have to be a little bit bigger. Makes sense. Oh, survive. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's like almost every other company that started with something. It's like it, once it eventually gets into the household market, it's because it started in a much bigger right. scale somewhere else. Right. Absolutely. So let's say I'm a restaurant and I buy, I buy one of your machines. How, how I guess the first question is, how easy is it to operate? And the second, how much maintenance is required to operate it? So we, uh, we put one at a pub in, in Winslow in Bainbridge Island. And um, the owner of the pub said, well, this is a really nice-looking thing. It's, it's cool. It's got an infographic on it. We're going to put it by the front door. So every patron had to walk by it, look at the graphics on it. And um, the kitchen, so then he... He was the owner. He says he told the kitchen guys they had to do this. And we thought, well, let's see how that works. Well, they not only did they like doing it, they started seeing how much they were wasting, and they got this feedback loop. Mm-hmm. And they actually like getting out of the kitchen, going to feed the machine. But, you know, it's only a couple hours a week. It's about, for that little machine in a parking space, it's about two hours a week. Oh, nothing. So yeah. it's not that much. The machine, you put it in the machine, and the machine will, will pace itself. So it's not like you have to stand there and watch it work. Okay. And Oh, that's cool. Are there wrong things that you can put in the machine? Like what can you do? What 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 would I do being a, a Norwegian here that would break the machine? <laughs> well, plas- we really don't like plastic. Plastic is we just hate on plastic all the time. Whether it's degradable yeah, plastic of, or yeah, yeah, sure. So mm-hmm. plastic is bad. Oyster shells are pretty tough. Okay. Yeah, that um, makes sense. You can see that. Big bones like dinosaur bones, we don't like that. You know, I mean, chicken bones are fine. Fish bones are really? fine. Really? That sort of oh, thing will break down. That. Yeah, but, but a really big beef bone. Yeah, like what I give my dog. Yeah, yeah. That, that might be tough. Okay. Um, so, so a rib shack it. might not I, want to do it. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. yeah. The, uh, but oyster shells are, you know, they just don't dissolve. Right, they, well, it's calcium. It, it becomes yeah. sand. So, yeah. um, so we have very few limitations. Uh it's really plastic, glass, and metal, and we actually look at everything that goes in the machine. So in that, and that's two- all the stuff that goes in the other recycle bin. Right. <laughs> so that no. two hours a week that you're you're actually pulling out the odd piece of silverware or mm-hmm. water bottle or something like that. Okay. So. Just whatever doesn't right. digest, it will end up. Right. You can just kind of scoop it out. Right. Okay. That and also then, sounds like my dog. Where does that go? The that would that- go to the landfill, or that 
the the plastic glass metal. Yeah, well, right. for sure. But but everything else that comes out is is going to be it's like a your, zero waste system. Your brewdo here, aside yeah. from the water bottle or piece of silverware, it's a zero waste. System. Yeah, but it comes out in liquid form. Mm -hmm. This is was liquid and was dried down. Okay, so got it. We, we've also been experimenting with applying it in liquid form on various organic farms around the Okay. Region. Well, I could imagine. Yeah, because yeah. if it's at someone else's facility and that is what comes out of it, how do they store and then deal exactly. with it? Exactly. You know, the ultimate client is someone that can s supply the inputs and use the outputs. Okay. And the outputs are almost... So, like, farm to table. <laughs> back to right. farm. Yeah. Table to farm. Yeah. Right back around. You know, before we... Before we uh, move on. We've got a, a little bit of time left here, but mm -hmm. if 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 our listeners have yes. have questions for you, uh, information on your company, or 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 maybe putting one of these plants in, you know, with their business, how can they reach you? What's the best way? Info at impactbioenergy.com, and then we we have a website, Impact Bioenergy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was on your website earlier, uh, impactbioenergy.com, and then of course you guys have a Facebook page as well. Are you on Twitter? We are. Okay, so I'll start following you on there. We're on LinkedIn, and, okay. uh, awesome. and we're, we're manufacturing all these right here in, in King County. Okay, in you Auburn. said down in Auburn. Yeah. How big is the facility down there currently? Uh, it's called Laser Cutting Northwest, and, and okay, um, it's four buildings. I don't know what the acreage is, but maybe a, I think the whole property. I think I was just by your building the other day because I am selling a property up there. It's, it's near the, the airport and the racetrack down yeah. there. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. And it's about six acres, I think. And um, the okay. owner is just, he's been awesome. Okay. He's, he's really a partner now. All right. Well, we want to thank all of you so much for being on here. Jan, Sharoub, and Drew, thank you so much for joining us here on Open House with Team Reba. This has been fascinating discussion and i hope some of our listeners will go and check out your stuff absolutely thank you all again for listening hope you have a great rest of your saturday we'll see you next week at two o'clock on open thank house thank you for listening reba. to open house with team reba to contact us visit team reba at re slash max metro east side on facebook or email info at team reba.com join us again next saturday afternoon at two for more open house with team reba here on AM 1590, The Answer. The preceding program was sponsored by Team Reba of Remax Metro East Side and Eric Osnes of Home Street Bank Home Mortgage.